Hi, good evening, everyone. Uh, we're now going to read a short uh, section from the Bible together. Uh, really, really important uh, that we have this open in front of us so we can see uh, what Sally says is from the Bible. So please do uh, grab one of these uh, blue Bibles in front of you and uh, turn together, please, to uh, Genesis chapter 32. Uh, that can be pay, uh, found on page 35. That's Genesis chapter 32, found on page 35. Genesis 32, starting from the top. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he names that place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to my lord Esau. Your servants, Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban, and have remained there until now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord, that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O Lord of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servants. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but... But now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers of the children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He spent the night there, and from what he had uh, with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels and their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to and where are you, uh, where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my lord Esau, and he's coming behind us. He also instructed the second, the third, and all the others who, have followed, uh, who, who followed the herds. You are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him, and be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I'm sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he'll receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, and he, he himself spent the night in the camp. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the, of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all the possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. 
When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the sockets of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched and, his, and he uh, wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and, have, uh, and humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed to Peniel, uh, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the sockets of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Sorry. Thank you. Good evening. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Sally Campbell-Taylor. I'm a member of the staff and leadership here at Above Bar Church. And uh, it's my privilege to be opening up Genesis 32 for us this evening as we continue looking at our, uh, going through our series, looking at the life of Jacob. And it's really great to see you all this evening. Thank you for being here on this warm night and uh, hope nobody keels over or falls asleep. Um, so if, yeah, thanks to Matt for reading the, the chapter so well, and if you could keep it open on page 35 or uh, wherever you're looking at it in your own Bible, it'd be great to have that open as we go through it. We're looking tonight at how Jacob encountered God and was transformed, and my prayer is that we will also encounter God and be changed as a result. Um, we were thinking this morning, uh, looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, Chris was helping us to think about how we need to be people who listen well to God. So I hope we'll be listening to God this evening, uh, despite any distractions. So let's pray as we approach God's word together. Father God, thank you for giving us your word and giving us your Holy Spirit, who helps us to understand and apply it. Please, would you speak to each one of us this evening through your word and help us to be listening to you. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. When I was young, my nan, my paternal grandmother, loved watching wrestling on TV. And when we went to visit her in Kent, my sister and I would sit and watch the wrestling with her. It was in the days of Big Daddy and Giant Haystack, so you can see there on the screen, if you can remember back that far. I don't think wrestling is quite so popular in this country anymore, although I understand that you can go and watch it in Southampton, and there's a young lady here tonight who loves to go and do that. Um, but it's still quite a big thing in America, and we've seen figures such as The Rock and Hulk Hogan become quite famous. As I looked at those pictures, I couldn't help noticing that the American wrestlers were a bit more ripped than the UK ones, but anyway. <laughs> I don't know what that says. Um, but my parents could never understand that my sister and I wanted to watch the wrestling with our nan. And if I'm honest, I'm not sure I could cope with it now. But at the time, we really enjoyed it. It was dramatic, it was exciting, it made us laugh. And I seem to recall uh, trying to reenact some of it by calling my dad Big Daddy and basically jumping up and down on his chest. My poor dad, but uh, he survived. 
My memory of the wrestling I saw is that it was very physical, but it was also a show, really. It was designed to make us gasp and laugh and cheer. Um, it was entertainment with lots of bluster and bravado. The retired American wrestler, Jesse Ventura, who went on to become a politician, is quoted as saying, wrestling is ballet with violence. And another wrestler, CM Punk, said, I bring smiles to people's faces. I also stand on people's faces. It's balance. Our passage this evening is about wrestling, but it's about a very different kind of wrestling. Not for show or entertainment, but a serious, prolonged wrestling with God. Jacob wrestles with God, and he's changed as a result. So just to bring us up to speed briefly on Jacob's story so far, um, he was given the name Jacob, which means deceiver. What a great start in life. He fought with his brother Esau and with his father. And then, as we heard from Callum a few weeks ago, uh, looking at chapter 27, aided and abetted by his mother, Jacob deceived his father and stole the blessing, which should have been his brother Esau's. Unsurprisingly, this caused a rift between the two brothers, and Jacob continued to lurch through life, basically making quite a mess of things, even as we heard last week in how he fathered 11 of his 12 sons. But as we come to this chapter, Genesis 32, we find Jacob continuing his journey back to his homeland of Canaan after 20 years in Mesopotamia. But he's on a spiritual journey as well as a physical one. Jacob has recognized the wrong that he did to his brother Esau all those years ago, and he's sorry. He recognizes that he needs to be reconciled with his brother, and so he starts to make a plan which he hopes will bring this about. But he ends up in quite a tricky situation, and we're going to look first at how Jacob responds to his tricky situation, and then at how God responds to Jacob. As Jacob continues his journey and prepares to meet Esau, he starts quite well. He's aware of God being with him on the journey, having seen angels, as we saw in the first two verses. And I think that's a sign of God's ongoing grace in Jacob's messy life. Jacob has a plan, and he starts to prepare to meet Esau, as we see in those first few verses. But then in verse 6, he hears from his messengers that Esau is coming to meet him with 400 men, which we assume was not quite part of Jacob's plan. So how does Jacob respond? Is he calm, trusting God? No, he's terrified. He continues with a practical plan, but as we see in verse 7, he's in great fear and distress. It strikes me that so far in his preparations to see Esau, even after encountering God's angels, Jacob has been relying on a plan he devised, relying on his own wisdom and ingenuity. And as soon as things start to go in a different direction, panic. So Jacob's first response to this situation is fear. And then, as we read in verse 9, Jacob prayed. Then Jacob prayed. Then Jacob prayed. I don't know about you, but I can so relate to this. Um, a challenge comes up, I panic. 
or I at least worry about it. Lie in bed thinking about it, and I try to come up with a plan uh, with some sorts of clever ideas as to how I can change or influence the situation. I talk to other people for their wisdom. And I think I kind of tell myself that I'm using the wisdom and experience that God's given me, and God can speak to me through other people. And while both of those things might be true, have I first prayed? Have I talked to God about it? Our first response when faced with any challenge or predicament should be to pray. But how often do we, like Jacob, try all sorts of other things first and then maybe pray to kind of ask God to bless our efforts? Even if not initially, though, Jacob does then turn to prayer. And when he does, it's with humility. If you look at verse 10, you see he says, I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown to your servant. He also remembers God's um, grace and faithfulness to him in the past. And in verse 9, he remembers God's promise to prosper him. In verse 11, we see Jacob crying out to God to rescue him. And he's very honest about his fear. And then in verse 12, he remembers again God's promise to make him prosper. It's an expression of the faith that God, uh, Jacob has in God. And I actually think this prayer of Jacob's is a great model of prayer for us. Firstly, coming to God humbly, recognizing that we're not worthy of his kindness and faithfulness. In other words, remembering God's grace. For the, those of us who are Christians, we can call to mind the grace that God has shown us by sending his son Jesus to be our saviour. And the grace he continues to show us as flawed human beings who continue to mess up, but he continues to forgive us. Secondly, remembering God's promises, the promises we read in God's word, the Bible, and also remembering how those promises have already been a reality in our lives and in the ways that God has already provided for us. And thirdly, crying out to God honestly and earnestly. Of course, God knows our situations already, but as our Father, he loves it when we come and talk to him and express our need for him. So after praying, Jacob continues with a plan of how to approach Esau, and we read the details of that in verses 13 to 21. Had he amended his original plan? We don't know, but he had invited God into the situation. And so perhaps he's now approaching it differently. He's certainly relying on God rather than just his own clever ideas. We as Christians have the Holy Spirit living in us, who in the Bible is described, amongst other things, as our helper and our counsellor. So we can ask the Holy Spirit to make it clear to us if, when, and how we should act in a particular situation. So if there's something in your life at the moment which is making you fearful or you're just uncertain about how to proceed, first of all, pray. You can even pray this evening. Why wait? You could pray with a friend or there are members of the prayer team here this evening and the senior team as well who would love to be alongside you as you bring your situation to God and cry out for his help. And there'll be opportunity to do that shortly um, as well as after the service. 
So Jacob responds to his challenging situation, first with fear, then with prayer. And then we see him wrestling with God. In verse 22 and 23, Jacob travels further with his family, but then he sends them on ahead with all his possessions. Verse 24 begins, so Jacob was left alone. And it's then, when he's finally alone, that we see a man wrestled with him until daybreak. It sounds rather strange at first, but it becomes clear as we read on that Jacob is wrestling with a supernatural being, not just a man. Now, I don't know much about wrestling, despite obviously all the time I spent watching it as a child. Um, I don't know if anyone here has ever done any wrestling. No, lots of blank faces, I think not. Um, so none of us know much about wrestling, but I do know that it's very physical. You use your whole body and all your muscles, and so it's very tiring. And it must have been exhausting for Jacob to wrestle until daybreak. But he's determined to persevere. And what outcome does he want from this fight? He wants to receive God's blessing, and he's not giving up until he does. The man who's wrestling with Jacob uh, tries to put a stop to it. In verse 25, we see that when the man saw that Jacob wasn't going to be overpowered, he damaged him physically, wrenching his hip, but with a mere touch. That's one of the clues that this isn't just a human being. Then in verse 26, the man says, let me go, for it is daybreak. Basically, he's saying, come on, enough now, give it up. Stop risking your, your life. But Jacob's not having any of it. Despite the risk, and despite being at the end of himself, Jacob replies, I will not let you go until you bless me. And eventually, we see in verse 29, the man blesses Jacob. And Jacob has realized that this man is in fact God. Are we prepared to wrestle with God and to persevere? I wonder if we're not quite as good at this nowadays as former gener generations might have been, just because of the culture we live in. In our Western culture, so much is instant, isn't it? If we want to find out something, we Google it. If we want to buy something, we can order it online right straight away and quite often have it the next day. We take photos on our phone and can see them straight away rather than waiting for a film to be developed in a shop. It was quite exciting, though, waiting, I found. If we want to communicate with someone, we can just ring them or text them or email them. Gone are the days of waiting for letters to arrive. In the Second World War, my grandpa, my maternal grandfather, um, served with the RAF in the Middle East. And he and my nana didn't see each other for three years but they wrote airmail letters to one another, which would take weeks at least to arrive. If you don't know what an airmail letter is, you can come and ask me afterwards. And I know about these airmail letters because I've seen them. My grandpa kept them because they were so precious to him. They were longed for and waited for through the dark days of war. And these days, I think we're perhaps not quite so good at waiting and persevering because we can have so much in an instant. But sometimes God calls us to persevere and to wrestle and to go on wrestling 
even though it seems to be going on forever and we're exhausted. So we've seen that Jacob responds to his uncertain and challenging situation first with fear, then with prayer, and then by wrestling determinedly with God. And what's God's response to Jacob? Well, firstly, I think we see God's grace and provision. If you've been here the last few weeks, you'll have heard about how Jacob messed up throughout his life. But God keeps showing grace to him, kindness that he doesn't deserve. For example, in the birth of his sons through different mothers uh, that Matt helped us to uh, look at last week. Jacob acknowledges in his prayer how God has been fulfilling his promise to make, God, uh, to make Jacob prosper. He's increased Jacob's family and possessions. And so now Jacob has all these animals that he can offer to Esau to pacify him. The goats and ewes and rams and camels and cows and bulls and donkeys. Quite an array of animals. Secondly, God meets with Jacob when he's finally alone and still. Jacob's focus has just been on his forthcoming encounter with his brother Esau and on trying to restore the relationship. But actually far more important is his relationship with God and his encounter with God. At the start of the chapter, we see Jacob encountering angels. But by the end of the chapter, he's seen God face to face, as he says in verse 30. It's very personal. In Old Testament times, the concept of being in God's presence was one that created fear, as it was believed that God's holiness and power would just wipe out a mere human being. The priests in the temple who were allowed to go into the so-called Holy of Holies, where God's presence was thought to dwell, used to go in with a rope tied around their ankle, so that if they died just from being in the presence of God, somebody could still drag them out again. I wonder if we've lost some of uh, that concept of God's might and holiness. By sending Jesus, whose death and resurrection removed the barrier of sin between us and God, God has made it possible for us to enter his presence without fear of being consumed. Hebrews 4 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. But do we realize what a huge privilege that is? Or do we rather take it for granted? Jacob called the place he wrestled with God Peniel, which means face of God. He says in verse 30, It is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. How amazing that through Jesus we can approach God without fear. And also know that if we're trusting in Jesus, one day we too will see God face to face and enjoy his presence forever. So God provides for Jacob. God meets with Jacob. And as a result of that personal encounter, God transforms Jacob. Jacob wrestles with God and then God grants his request for blessing. I think this is the blessing that Jacob has been looking for all his life, but in all the wrong places. And I wonder if some of us can identify with that. Jacob is also left with a physical reminder of his encounter with God. He has a limp after his hip is wrenched as he wrestles. 
I don't know, but perhaps God knew that Jacob and his descendants would need a reminder of that encounter with God. Perhaps it shows us that there's a cost as we wrestle with God. And it highlights our weakness and his strength. But God yet again shows Jacob his restorative and transformative grace. He gives Jacob a new start and a new identity. He gives him a new name. He's no longer Jacob, the deceiver, but will now be called Israel, which means God fights or he struggles with God. If you look at verse 28, it says, Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. So, as the sun rises on a new day, Jacob continues his journey, a changed man. We'll hear more next week from Chris Hughes about the new chapter in Jacob's life and how God continues to work. And if you read through the rest of Genesis and even the the whole rest of the Bible, you see how God works out his purposes through Jacob and his descendants, how he works among his people and right across the world. Jacob was still Jacob. He still messed up, but God still used him. And I don't know about you, but I find that really reassuring to know that God can use frail and flawed human beings like Jacob and like me, and like you. Jacob's new start and new identity mark the beginning of a nation of God's people, Israel, but also the continuation of a family line, which would one day produce a child called Jesus, born to Mary. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the promised Messiah, who came to live among us and show us what God is like, and to die for us so that we can know God as Father. We see Jacob wrestling with God in this passage, and sometimes we find ourselves wrestling with God too, don't we? Not physical wrestling, um, as we see in this passage, but a spiritual wrestling. Maybe wrestling with God as we try and hang on to control of our lives, rather than allowing him to be Lord. Maybe wrestling with God in prayer over a certain, certain issue or situation. Maybe wrestling with God as our faith is tested in difficult circumstances. My husband Ben and I have been facing considerable challenges in this first half of 2023, and even before that, to be honest. Some of you will be aware that I've been having problems with my right eye for the last 16 months, and especially this year. And one thing after the other has happened, and even just this year, I've had four uh, proper operations on my eye and two smaller procedures. And although, thankfully, my eye is behaving at the moment, um, I still don't really know how well it will heal. Ben and I also have a, a really difficult family situation at the moment, which is baffling and painful, and in which we feel weak and helpless just as Jacob no doubt felt weak and helpless at the thought of Esau and 400 men descending on him. Preparing this sermon has challenged me about how we need to keep wrestling with God. Some situations really test our faith, don't they? And we find ourselves saying, Lord, what are you doing? Why are you allowing this? But if we're prepared to wrestle with God and submit to him, we will be transformed 
just as Jacob was. Even Jesus' faith was tested when uh, he was tempted in the desert, as we can read in Matthew chapter 4. Would he hold on to God and the promises of his word or go his own way? Of course, Jesus didn't give in to the devil's schemes and his faith withstood the test. And then he was ready to begin his ministry. Ben and I are praying together every day about our family situation in particular, as well as for healing for my eye. And we want to persevere until we see change. But we're also praying that God would use this situation to change us. God met Jacob at his point of weakness and isolation and challenged him to let go of his self-reliance and submit to God in order to receive his blessing. God meets us at our point of weakness. He refines us through times of testing so that we become more the people he intended us to be, reflecting Jesus in our lives. And that's something we can ask him to do as we wrestle with him. We too may be left with a metaphorical limp, but we will be changed and we'll be prepared for all that God wants to do in and through us. The 18th century English theologian and evangelist John Wesley wrote in his journal that the end of your praying, in other words, the aim of your praying, is not to inform God as though he knew not your wants already, but rather to inform yourselves, to fix the sense of those wants more deeply in your hearts and the sense of your continued dependence on him who only is able to supply all your wants. It is not so much to move God, who is always more ready to give than you to ask, as to move yourselves, that you may be willing and ready to receive the good things he has prepared for you. In other words, prayer should change us, causing us to recognize our weakness and our need for God. And as we submit to him and open ourselves to the transforming work of his Holy Spirit, then we're ready to receive God's blessing and continue our journey. Jacob, once Jacob had encountered God and received his blessing, then he was ready for his encounter with his brother Esau. You'll need to come back next week to hear whether Jacob is indeed reconciled with Esau, but whatever the outcome of the situation itself, Jacob has been transformed by this encounter with God. God graciously provides for Jacob, God meets with Jacob, and God transforms Jacob. Jacob began in self-reliance and in fear, but then he cried out to God and wrestled with God and was transformed as a result. God gave him a blessing, a new identity, a new chapter in his story. So how about us? How do we respond? I'd like to encourage us just to take a moment of quiet to reflect and to think, what has God been saying to me this evening? Maybe you're aware there's someone you need to be reconciled with. Bring it to God and ask for his wisdom and help.
Perhaps there's a different challenge or uncertainty you're facing, and you're aware that you're just trying to work it out or sort it out for yourself, and you need to bring it to God. Take time to cry out to God honestly and earnestly. Perhaps make a start this evening. More importantly, have we each had a personal encounter with God through his son Jesus and his Holy Spirit? Have we experienced his transforming power in our lives? If you're here this evening and you haven't yet made a decision to follow Jesus, the offer is open to you to encounter God and be transformed. In the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. And if you'd like to know more about knowing Jesus and the new start and the new identity he offers, then do come and talk to me or to anyone you've seen at the front here or the the prayer teams, the senior team, the staff who are around. We'd love to chat with you tonight. Even if you call yourself a Christian already, it's not enough just to believe in God or to have a cultural faith. We each need a personal, transformative encounter with God, which changes the way we live. Or maybe you're wrestling with God over something where you want his blessing. Is there a situation in your life which is testing your faith? Maybe it feels like you've been wrestling with God for a long time. Keep going. Don't give up. Keep wrestling until you see God answer in some way. Let's admit our weakness and submit to the holy, loving, and powerful God. The God who cares more about our character and our relationship with him than he does about what we do or what happens in any particular situation. Whatever the outcome of the issue you're wrestling with God over, you can be transformed by your encounter with God if you hang on to him and don't let go. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you speak to us through your word and by your spirit. Help us not to ignore or forget what you've said to us this evening. As we cry out to you in prayer, as we wrestle with you, Would we see you at work in our situations, but most of all at work in us, changing us to be the people you intended us to be and ready to receive your blessing and be used for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.